When I was in college, my very favorite courses to take were cultural anthropology courses. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's the study of human behavior within groups, particularly within tribes or nations, within communities that have sort of a defined edge to them. It's a fascinating field. When I took the, my very first cultural anthropology course, which admittedly I took simply because it fit in my schedule, my very first quarter of going to college, the professor warned us that we would never see the same, we would never see the world in the same way again if we stayed in her course more than for a few weeks. So if we wanted our worldview to stay the same, leave. But if we wanted to be expanded, stick around and our eyes would be opened. And she was right. I suddenly couldn't see the way that food was packaged in the same way. I couldn't see the way that Buildings were designed in the same way, on and on and on. I could see everything had human decisions behind it that were thoroughly shaped by the culture within we live. Fascinating stuff. But the other thing that happened whenever I took a cultural anthropology course was a certain man was described and honored. He was a man whose name was Ishii. I-S-H-I. He was an American Indian, a member of the Yati tribe. And in California, that's where my university was, there were dozens and dozens of American Indian tribes. And the uh, Yati were one of the smaller ones at most 400 members. And Ishii was the very last member of his tribe, the last one on earth. And he has a fascinating story that has made him a hero of cultural anthropologists around the world ever since. In 1911, Ishii came out of the mountains of California and into the small town of Oroville, California, not far from Sacramento. He went to a commercial establishment, a butcher, and drank some water and sat down. And the people who worked there didn't know what to make of this strange-looking man who was not like anyone they had seen in their town before, the way he was dressed. And so they called the sheriff. The sheriff came and tried talking with who, the man who later became known as Ishii, and Ishii didn't seem to be able to understand him, but clearly he was in a certain amount of distress. He was extremely thin. He was in his 50s. He was a relatively old man, therefore, and so the sheriff, recognizing that he was a Native American, that he was an Indian, took him to the jail in order to feed him and keep him safe. Because until very recently, to 1911, in California, it was not only legal, it was encouraged to kill any Indian who was not living on a reservation. There were actually rewards posted. And the state of California spent at least a million dollars paying those rewards through the late 1800s into the early 1900s. So the sheriff knew this was someone who had to be protected. Brought him to the jail. Soon it was in all the newspapers in Northern California about this man who no one knew where he came from. And the anthropologists at the University of California, Berkeley, read one of those stories and were fascinated. 
And so one of them, who was familiar with the Indians from that area, took the train and went to Oroville to meet this man. And using a language from an adjoining tribe, was able to start to communicate with him. And once that man figured out what Ishii's language was, was able to find a translator to talk extensively with Ishii and find out what his story was. Well, what it turns out is that Ishii, again and again through his 50 years plus of life, had seen his tribal members murdered by the whites, as he called them. Again and again, Ishii either saw directly the killings take place or saw the aftermath. And so, like other members of his tribe, Ishii had stayed hidden to protect his life, to protect his culture. Until eventually, after the last of his fellow tribal members had died and years had passed, Ishii realized he couldn't survive on his own any longer. He was getting to the age where in his tribe he would have been taken care of by younger members and there were no younger members. So he decided to join the white society. He came out of the mountains and didn't give himself up. Instead, he joined. Two very different mindsets there. He never saw himself as surrendering. He never saw himself as giving up who he was or who his people were. Instead, he much more saw himself as a gift to the people around him. And this would continue through the rest of his life. Well, this is a long and beautiful story, and I recommend you looking it up on the internet or read the wonderful book or books about Ishii. But what he ended up doing over the remaining five years of his life was working with those anthropologists from Berkeley and actually becoming very close friends with them. He became like their family members. And he taught them about his culture. He always did so with a sense of sympathy and generosity towards the anthropologists. He saw, Ishii saw around him people who were unhappy. He saw people who were disconnected from the real world. He saw people who were living lives that were meaningless. And he felt great sympathy. He knew that he had something to offer these people, that his culture had given him gifts of how to live, how to see the universe, how to treat one another, that white society could thoroughly benefit from. And at this point, in the 19-teens, he was living in San Francisco. So at that point, the great metropolis of the West Coast. He learned English, he learned how to ride trolley cars, he trusted trolley cars more than automobiles because they were bigger. He would go, go to Golden Gate Park in San Francisco riding the trolley and commune with nature, but also, especially with children. He trusted the children that he encountered more than the adults, and he felt, again, he had something to offer them. So he spent year after year teaching how his people had lived, what they had believed, and how they could help the people around Ishii live even better. Now, one of the interesting things about Ishii is that Ishii was not his real name. That was the name for man in the Yati language. And it was his nickname that the anthropologists had offered him and he accepted. 
Because in his culture, a person never spoke his or her own name. That was seen to be very conceited and rude and overbearing. And so even though there was no one alive to speak his name, he would not break that value of putting others first, of not promoting himself, and instead he accepted his nickname, and I'm sure he missed people saying his name, but he didn't break his values of putting others first. He had been offered tens of thousands of dollars to go on the vaudeville circuit, to travel the United States and maybe even the world as the last wild man of America, because he was, as far as anyone knew, the last American Indian who was living in traditional ways at the turn of the 20th century. But instead, instead of becoming wealthy, he chose to spend his years teaching, teaching the values that he had learned, te teaching the techniques he had learned, how they made fire, how they hunted, how they fished, how they negotiated the changing seasons of California. He spent five years, almost full time, teaching the anthropologists from, who came from all over the world to learn from Ishii. Now, I think of Ishii when I think of this morning's gospel, because here was a man who clearly took the lower seat, did not exalt himself, did not say that he should be a star, did not promote his own brand, did not sell himself, but instead lived by the values that had sustained him for 50 years or more of a very hard life before he walked out of the mountains. And he found that those were the values that were necessary to keep him going in the metropolis of San Francisco. It's the same thing that Jesus is telling us today, that we live in a world full of messages about promoting ourselves, of becoming a brand, of making ourselves a commodity so that we can become rich and famous. And Jesus is saying, not only is this a way to unhappiness, but it's also a path to self-destruction, that we will literally lose who we are by giving up our name, by selling it. And instead, we need to be willing to live lives of generosity and humility so that we can survive and thrive in a world that teaches the opposite as Christ is teaching us to resist that. If we think we can turn humility on and off, we're fooling ourselves. It's a full-time skill to practice again and again. And we probably will never master it. But instead, it will become as an automatic reaction or at least a more accessible reaction when people want us to puff ourselves up and accept the highest seat because we think we deserve it. We are all equal in the eyes of God. We are all equally beloved by God. And we are called to live like Ishii and like so many other saints through the years who have taught us by their examples that putting others first is the way of happiness, that sharing with others with generosity is the way of fulfillment, that living out the love that God has for us is the way in which we will discover love as well as spread it. But that is the way 
that Christ gives us to live lives of meaning, of health, of happiness, of love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.